Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now you've found it. This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now. And hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask the Trucker Live on this blistery blizzard of 2016. We hope everyone is keeping warm and safe out there, and thank you for joining us this evening. Today is Saturday, January 23rd, 2016, and tonight we're going to uh, be discussing two important safety issues. For the first half of the show, we'll be discussing the Michaels Law Amendment, which would relieve the need for state reciprocity laws for those with legal gun permits. We've been discussing this for a long time. It's been a pretty big pretty big thing out there in the trucking industry for quite a while. Our first guest up tonight will be James Lamb, chairman of the Small Business and Transportation Coalition. And Mr. Lamb will be talking about the various proposed bills he has introduced and even presented to the NRA And the bills would allow truckers a national permit for carry, which are based on the Interstate Commerce Clause. Now, James has been working since uh, 2014 when trucker Michael Beglin was shot and killed in Detroit as he parked in an abandoned lot. A lot of people know that story. The first bill was named Mike's Law after Michael Beglin. And although there's almost 12,000 people who have signed the Mike's Law petition, the NRA had decided not to support Mike's Law, but rather their national reciprocity bill that has existed for 10 years now. So Mr. Lamb has introduced the Michael's Law Amendment, which is a proposed amendment to the current federal law codified at 18 U.S. Code 926A. And Lamb's proposed bill would expand the existing federal interstate transportation of firearms statute into a right-to-carry law for all Americans engaged in crossing state lines, whether working or engaged as consumers in interstate commerce. And he's presented this bill also to the NRA, and we will discuss their reaction to this amendment as well. So tonight, James will discuss the difference in the two bills and how the Michaels Law Amendment will benefit not just truckers, but all Americans. And our second half of the show will be extending our discussion on the FMCSA announcement that CRST expedited, CRST, has applied for an exemption from the requirement in 49 CFR 383.25A, one that requires a commercial learner's permit holder to always be accompanied by a commercial driver's license holder with a proper CDL class and endorsement seated in the front seat of the vehicle, while the CLP holder performs behind-the-wheel training on public roads or highways. Another big issue that is going through the trucking industry at this point as well. And joining us for that in our second half of the program, returning guest to Ask the Trucker Live, Desiree Wood. 
She is a president and founder of RealWomenInTrucking.com, which is a 501 organization devoted to advocacy within the trucking industry, where her and her organization devotes much of their time to CL, uh, CDL training and the need for improved standards. So Desiree Wood will join us tonight on the second half of the show discussing the need for awareness in the low-wage, unsafe CDL training game, which has existed in the industry for decades, well over 20 years, as veteran truckers know. And specifically, she'll be addressing the recent CRST FMCSA exemption request, which would allow those with a learner's permit, a CLP, who have passed the so-called skills test to drive team. And almost all of the CLP holders have no OTR driving experience, and they are put on the road while the co-driver may be sleeping in the bunk or whatever. So presently, Desiree has created a petition to the White House requesting that we the people stop the FMCSA from granting this petition, which they did so already, to uh, CRA. CRS England, right, Donna? CR England, yeah. Yeah, CR England. They they granted it, and it's just crazy. But anyway, she's going to get into all that. (laughs) Yeah, that will be the second part of the show. So this petition is in addition to the FMCSA Notice of Application for Exemption. So, hey, stay with us. A lot of eye-opening information for this evening's broadcast. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. And it's going to be very critical to understand all this that is going on. So, um, uh, hey, did I mention Christy? Oh, no, No, you didn't. no, I did not. Also, joining James Lamb to discuss this Michael's Amendment, um, we're very happy to have her. Christy Matson will be joining us as well. She's the daughter of a veteran trucker, Jerry Matson, 72 years old, still trucking, who was just shot in his truck last, last month in Oakland, California and because he could not find a place to park. So Christy will be sharing her father's story with us. Uh, he, he survived. He's doing all right, but there's still so much that he has to go through, which is another story in itself. So Christy Matson will be joining us to discuss, to tell us uh, her father's story and uh, also to um, share her thoughts on Mr. Lamb's proposal. So uh, like I said, a lot coming up for this evening's broadcast, and so hang with us. It's all coming up on Ask the Trucker Live. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. 
This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at askthetrucker.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Uh, first, first up, James Lamb, Chairman of the Small Business Transportation Coalition, and joining us shortly, Christy Matson, uh, daughter of the trucker we just spoke about, that was a victim himself in Oakland, California. But James, welcome, uh, welcome back to the show. How you been? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing cold, actually. I'm. I'm uh, it's like 59 degrees here in South Florida, and you know, I think we had over 40 inches of sunshine today, Alan. I know. Well, I was going to say, you know, if you're if you're like if you were like Donna complaining, just hop on up there to the northeast. There you go. I know. I'm, I'm just poking fun, obviously, but you know, our, our thoughts and prayers are with all the folks up there that are going through a tough time. And I have family up there. Oh man. And, and you know, yeah, I think they they, are. they've gotten two or three, two or three uh, inches, or two or three feet uh, of snow up there so far. So I hope all the oh, drivers yeah. are safe. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, man, it's rough. So yeah, our thoughts are with them, and and uh, just hang in there tight, and it'll be over soon. So, well, listen, um, uh, we don't have much time. We just have a uh, uh, you know first half of the show here, and it, as we all know, it goes by fast. So Mike, Mike's law and the uh, Michael's law amendment, it, it's quite an endeavor you've taken on, and we know how you know how passionate you are and been about it. But there's there's many people out there who's I think are still confused about what the bill does and what it doesn't do. What what adds to the confusion, I think, is although both bills are for the benefit of expanding the Second Amendment rights, I think a lot of people just don't understand why the NRA is not supporting the bills. But before before we get into that, I just want to say that in your recent press release, there was a stat by the Department of Labor that there's been over 500 workers in the transportation industry murdered in the past decade, and that's according to the U.S. Department of Labor's uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. So why don't you just start by explaining, if you don't mind, the differences between Mike's Law and the Michael's Law Amendment and how and why the Mike's Law bill transitioned into the Michael's Law Amendment. Yeah, I think I'm I'm probably guilty, Alan, of, of contributing to the confusion by naming these two separate and distinctly different bills um, confusingly similar, I guess you would say. Uh, so, you know, the original bill that uh, we came out with, Mike's Law, most folks I think know at this point that that bill had to do with a national business carry permit program. We were asking Congress to pass this law, and then uh, the ATF agency would then put into place a permitting program and regulations as far as how to apply for that permit and, you know, what training would be required, who would, who would qualify in terms of the vetting process. So we put that out there. And, of course, you know, it was in the context of people who are working in the transportation industry. And, boy, did we get flack, you know, when we, when we put that out. And, you know, it, it took us about a year, you know, we, we got 11,000 signatures on the, the pro side. But, man, we got, you know, quite a bit of flack on, the, on the, the con side. And the flack came not from who we thought from, namely the folks who are the gun control advocates on the left. 
it was more from the folks who were on the far right, the libertarians, in some instances anarchists. And, you know, so ultimately we, uh, we ran into a problem in two respects, uh, and that carried over into our discussions with the NRA in terms of trying to get them on board. We had a discussion, you know, with them initially uh, when we first launched our campaign about 18 months ago, and they politely said no. But ultimately, you know, they said they were going to go forward with their own bill, uh, national reciprocity bill, and, you know, they wished us luck on ours. Well, you know, as we started to walk the halls of Washington and, and actually try to get some folks to sponsor the bill, other than Marco Rubio in the Senate, we had a really tough time uh, in the House of Representatives, and it came to our attention that basically the NRA, in, in one way or another, was uh, interfering with our you know, request for people to sponsor and uh, we even got a, an apology from one of the uh, uh, one of the reps at one point uh, with respect to one particular meeting that went bad that we were supposed to be in on, and, and we kind of got uninvited once the NRA showed up. So you know we we were very disappointed. And the two issues that really have come up here on the other side has been you know number one they don't like the idea that Mike's law seems to be what they call a uh, special carve-out bill just for people who are working in transportation. And number two, the whole idea of the permitting process, even though we've talked in the past, uh, you know, about how it's a, it was going to be an optional uh, permit, the idea was that once you have a permit, then you have registration, optional rent registration could turn to mandatory registration, and that would lead potentially to the fear of gun confiscation. So we kind of went back to the drawing board, you know, after we went through this, and we kind of uh, let the NRA know that there were a lot of truckers that were upset with, uh, you know, the way they handled our, you know, uh, situation and, and how how they um, basically blocked our attempts to get our bill passed, and we addressed their concerns. And so when we went back to the drawing board, we said, well, you know, we're trying to name this bill after the late Michael Baglin, who, as you know, you know, was uh, unfortunately shot and killed in June of 2014 in Detroit. So uh, we didn't want to drop the honor associated with, you know, with naming it after him. So instead of saying Mike's Law, we basically attached the, the term Michael's Law to the new endeavor. And, you know, a lot of people are getting confused by that and, you know, I at this point, I don't even know if the NRA is picking up on I would swear that every time I speak, at this point, all the NRA hears is Charlie Brown's mother. You know? <laughs> I mean, right, right. I, and, you know, I talked to a couple of people, and, and it sounds like their explanation when they call up to them is saying, well, you know, this is just for truckers. We want it for everybody. And it sounds like they, they, they just don't understand the distinction or they're deliberately saying that. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, well, I think it, it has it has a way to go here because this kind of thing requires a lot of momentum. And as you know, we're doing a lot of work on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, social media, trying to get folks, you know, to understand that this is Plan B. So basically, now we have a very short uh, statute that already exists uh, called the Interstate transportation of firearms, and as Alan said, 18 U.S. Code 926A, and what we're talking about doing is changing it, kind of tweaking it, really, so that 
instead of it being about the existing uh, mechanism of how to transport an unloaded weapon from one state where you have the right to carry or possess to another state where you have the right to carry or possess. In this case, what we're saying is, look, because this involves interstate uh, transportation, regardless of whether you're a truck driver or, you know, you're a family on vacation or you're working in another industry, if you go from one state to another state, and you have the lawful right to carry in, in both of those states, basically we're saying that the states that are in between should not get in the way of you lawfully carrying, and, and let's make the distinction, possession versus carrying. Carrying meaning, you know, having the, the weapon on you, readily accessible, not in a lockbox, but in a um, you know fully loaded, readily readily accessible capacity. So we're basically saying that let's change the language of this existing law, and, and in fact you know the entire title, and let's make it about carrying rather than just transport. And so you know that's what we've done. And there's two components to the new law uh, that we're proposing. Number one is that we're allowing you know folks to to carry under this. Theory. And the second is the concept of federal preemption. And uh, a lot of truckers, you know, are familiar with this because they get involved in issues that pertain to, you know, federal preemption of regulations where the state can't over overrule what the feds do if it involves interstate commerce. So this is the same exact thing. We're basically saying that all Americans are involved in interstate commerce to a certain degree if only as consumers in interstate commerce. So now the federal preemption basically says, the clause basically says that no state has the right to regulate firearms that are coming into, out of, or through their state as long as the person is not a resident of that state. So what that does is it basically says, you know what, if you want to live in New York and live under New York's rules, then that's fine. And if you want to live in Texas, under Texas rules, that's fine. But if you have to either go go to a state like New York for business purposes or to go see your family, like in my case, I have relatives in, in New York, as I just said, in that case, we should not be per, uh, regulated by that state by virtue of the fact that we're crossing state lines and we should have the right to have the same um, rights as we do in our home state, not as residents of the state, but residents of the United States. So federal matter, federal power to regulate interstate commerce, and of course everyone knows that this is just a reaffirmation of the Second Amendment. Uh, <clears throat> hey, James, this is Donna. Um, I just want to ask you now, you haven't heard any feedback? I mean, they, um, the NRA has not even said, hey, James, that's a great idea, you know, we're going to support that, or or have they just ignored the, the Michael's Law? Um, it sounds like they're, they're still confused over Mike's Law, but I, I can't imagine them being confused, really. I mean, you've written them about this amendment, correct? Yeah, we've written them on multiple occasions. You know, I've contacted uh, Chris Cox, the uh, chief mm -hmm. lobbyist at NRA, you know, uh, as of the last couple of days, uh, just to follow up and say, hey, you know, I don't know what to tell people. All I can say is that we've told you about this and you haven't responded. 
So I've contacted him through his email, through LinkedIn, in-mail, you know, and, and basically I've made a good-faith attempt to try to work with them at this point. We're calling this the compromise bill. And, you know, our right. tone is probably still, you know, a little bruised uh, as far as, you know, how we, you know, uh, have uh, dealt with each other over the last, you know, six months or so. But, you know, we're we're trying to get beyond that. We're trying to now say, look, Let's put all this, you know, water under the bridge. Here's the olive branch. And, look, the, the, the basic issue here is the end game. And, you know, we're, we're disagreeing over the means to get there, but it's time at this point for, you know, you folks to take a look at our solution. And, and we pointed out, you know, the problem with their, their bill is, number one, they've been pursuing this for 10 years. It hasn't come to fruition. And during that 10-year period, as we just said, at least in our industry, industry, 500 people have lost their lives. You know, maybe some of them could have defended themselves if they're truckers on the road and they have the ability to to, uh, to carry. So, you know, truckers have been waiting for a long time. Some of them are members of the NRA. You know, Americans in general, whether they're members of the NRA, if they're, they're pro-gun, they've been waiting for this. And it just hasn't come to fruition. And the second point is, even if it does come to fruition, let's say, you know, maybe a year from now we have a Republican president and the uh, Congress passes their reciprocity bill, the president signs it, now it's law. Well, you know, the next thing that's going to happen, and, and they've made it perfectly clear, is the folks on the left, like Michael Bloomberg and his groups, they're going to come after the, you know, the bill, uh, once it's uh, theoretically law, as a matter of the Tenth Amendment. They're basically going to say you can't force us to do what we don't want to do. If we wanted to grant reciprocity here in New York, let's say, we would have done it already, and we just don't like the standards of Texas. And forcing them to do it is going to just basically create a lawsuit, and ultimately it's a matter of spinning their wheels, and it's not a viable solution. So we're saying to them, look, it's time, it's 10 years, it's time for you to go to Plan B. And we're presenting them with what we think Plan B is, We've written the law. We're open to, you know, tweaking it, and, and it's a draft, so, you know, the final version, everybody can get together and try to make it a, as good as possible. But, you know, that seems to be the solution to tie this matter into the Commerce Clause because once it's actual bona fide federal authority, then this can't be overturned on state rights grounds because it's federal authority, constitutional authority, and all it's doing is, you know, enhancing and reaffirming an amendment that the people enjoy the second amendment. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, is it possible that they can keep, you know, their bill going and still support Michael's Law Amendment? Can they do both? Sure. There's no reason why they can't do that. I mean, you know, their focus seems to be very tunnel vision at the moment. You know, they on their website, they have two or three different versions of this idea of reciprocity. And, and if you think about it, I mean, really, our bill is kind of pretty close to that. You know, it's just officially under federal authority. So, you know, the, the notion here of them, you know, pursuing multiple, you know, objectives uh, or, or multiple uh, programs that are geared towards solving the problem, I would think they would want to do that. So, you know, I guess your listeners should be thinking about this, whether they're members of the NRA or not, presumably they're involved in the trucking industry, they should be thinking about asking the question, 
what is now wrong with Michael's Law? You know, SBTC went back to the drawing board. They fixed the concerns or they addressed the concerns that you folks had. It's not a special carve-out now. It's for all Americans. And, you know, it's it has nothing to do with permits and registration. So my question to the NRA is basically, so now what's the problem? And I'm not getting any dialogue. There's no communication. Hmm. Well, you know, we've got a lot of people on the switchboard. I just want to let them know um, – uh, if you want to be part of the show, you have to click one on your uh, on your keypad, and that kind of notifies us that you want to either ask a question or make a statement uh, on the show. Um, yeah, I, and we'll uh, we'll we'll try to get to them. Uh, we've got a lot to cover, but you know we'll 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 do our best to try to take your call. But one thing I want to do now is, uh, I mean, why is this Michael's Law Amendment so important? I mean, I'd like to put more another more of a human face on it and Christy Matson joins us and like I said earlier she is the daughter of veteran trucker Jerry Matson who was shot in his truck last month in Oakland California and she's here with us to uh, share her father's story and bring us an update on how he's doing and also her thoughts on uh, James Lamb's um, Michael Law Amendment proposal so Hey, Christy, thanks for uh, joining us and being here with us this evening. I, we know we really appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me. Well, glad to have you here. I mean, a lot of people, they, they you know, we, they, they listen to this. We've had several shows here, and it, and it goes back and forth, and you're talking about this law and this amendment and this proposal and this politics, and, and oh, it kind of goes crazy. I'm, I'm really glad you joined us here because it, it gives more of a – a human touch to you, you know, so people can really see what people like your dad, you know, it, it went through and what he's still going through. It, I mean, I know he's he's he survived, he's doing well, but it, the story doesn't end there. Why don't you just explain, let us know. I know that your dad was in Oakland, California, uh, the place where he was, uh, what, was he delivering? Go ahead and just yeah. tell us your dad's story. What happened to him there in Oakland? He um, arrived the night prior uh, to an uh, early morning delivery and was turned away by the Oakland Coliseum to stay on the property. Um, In the past, their company has been allowed to stay on the property, so he didn't think anything about arriving early. Um, The guard there told him that he could not stay on the property and told him to go down the road across a certain highway and he could stay over there. So dad went over there and he saw no parking signs and there was an officer there giving a ticket. He asked that officer, where can I park? And they told him. He parked there, went to sleep, and was awakened by somebody rocking the cab of his truck. Um, he didn't do anything at that point. Um, when when the, the, the man, the thug, uh, busted out the driver's window, that's when dad jumped up and kind of lunged towards him. And the man just stuck his hand in and, and shot him in the stomach with a forty five caliber. Oh my god. Dad he ran off, he got away. Um Dad was able to call nine one one and they came and got him, took him to the hospital, they did emergency surgery, and he's had two infections because of it. The bullet went into the stomach but it lodged in his thigh. And they left the bullet in during the initial surgery, and it caused an infection. It had gone through his lower intestines and stomach contents and 
stuff was leaked in there, which caused it. And uh, they did the surgery. They wound up doing two more surgeries for infection after that. We got him moved to a new hospital where he's doing much better. They treated another infection there that he had received. He had two more pockets of infection that showed up. Got that cleared up, and they've begun doing skin grafts on him. The bullet stopped, they said, a hair away from his femoral artery. Uh, Oh, my God. Right. It probably saved his life, kept him from bleeding to death. So that's why they've had to do the skin grafts. Once we know that the skin grafts have taken, then he'll start rehabilitation. And see, that's, that's been a uh, you know, it has. You know, it's, it's just amazing. And and you know, at his age, and he's still out there trucking. You know, but James and and hang with us there, Christy. I have more for you. But I mean, you know, you hear about these things, and you know, hopefully they survive. And everybody hears, oh, you know, he would, you know, something happened, but the trucker survived. The story doesn't end there. I mean, Christie's dad has a long way to go and a lot of things to go through. And and he had even told you that if he had a gun, that he could have defended himself. Um, when we spoke earlier, when Alan and and you and I spoke earlier. Right, right. If it, as it stands, there's no clue as to who done this. Um, they said there mm-hmm. were no fingerprints, so he probably had gloves on. Um, the only thing that they have to go on is a shell casing, and that's it. The hospital wouldn't release the bullet to us. They said that they kept those. So we don't have that, but the officer said the casing was fine. But if it, my thoughts are if Dad was able to shoot back, at least there would have been some DNA of some sort, uh, oh, mainly yeah. blood, or the mm-hmm. chances of catching him you know, would have been greater than they are right now. Right now we're waiting, we have to wait like six months, I think he said, before the showcasing gets through the database that they have that goes world uh, statewide through the mm-hmm. United States. That's a long time to wait. <clears throat> That's a long time it, to wait. And if they get is. a hit on it, then, of course, they'll start tracking back from there. Well, most of these criminals, though, you know, and, and they get the guns illegally. So it's not like you're, they're going to trace it back to a, a registered, you know, permit holder. I mean, chances are God only knows where where the gun came from. So, you know, it, it's 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 really kind of weird how uh, how things go right now. Especially they're trying to do all kinds of gun control. But uh, let, let me, um, you know, before the show, Christy, I was doing a little research on Oakland, California. And James, you will find this interesting then I'm and then I'm going to ask you James something and then and then Christy, I want to get your thoughts on James's amendment proposal, but James, I was looking at the crime rate for Oakland, California, uh, and this is off the FBI statistics. And uh the crime index is rated from 1 to 100 with 100 being the safest. The crime index for Oakland, California, according to FBI statistics, is one. Now, the the, annu- the annual crimes, violent crimes, that happens every year in Oakland, California, there's 7,033. And of those, those are made up. There's Every year in Oakland, California, there's, there's 81 murders, there's 296 rapes, there's 3,504 robberies, and there's 3,152 assaults. 
your chances of becoming a victim in Oakland, California is 1 in 59, and it works out to be that there's 570 crimes per square mile in Oakland, California. Wow. Now, James, I think if those stats for this one city in America doesn't show that truckers, people involved in interstate commerce, whatever, shouldn't have the right to carry something to defend themselves, then I don't know what does. You know, I, I can't disagree with you, Alan. And, and, you know, all I can think of is this this is like, a uh, you know, we're living the movie Groundhog Day where, you know, we mm-hmm. wake up every morning, you know, at 6 o'clock in the morning and you hear, I got you, babe, and we talk about, you know, truckers getting shot. And and it's it's absolutely ridiculous at this point. The similarities between this, this incident with Mr. Madsen, and I spoke with him on Tuesday, uh, you know, I'll tell you more about that in a sec, but the similarities – you know, between his incident and Michael Baglin are almost identical. You've got a receiver who's not granting safe harbor and is refusing the guy to, you know, to come in, the driver to come in uh, the night before he's supposed to deliver and told to go park in some desolate area. And in this case, it was on the other side of the freeway, according to Mr. Madsen, you know, and it wasn't a, a safe place, you know. And it's in these cities that are high crimes, high crime cities. Oakland is not much better or worse than Detroit, where Michael Baglin was. So, you know, it's the same thing over and over again. And, you know, when we're talking about the statistics on the 500, you know, in terms of the last decade, you know, how many workers in transportation we've lost, that does not include the Jerry Matsons or the Randy Tomlins from last year, if you remember. Um, right. Was we shot, had him uh, on the show, too. Yeah, he was shot a decade ago just as NRA was starting their national reciprocity campaign. Here we are, 10 years later, no reciprocity, same situation, and, you know, more truckers are getting shot. So 500 doesn't include the ones who survive, you know, and, and that's, that's just insanity. So, you know, when it comes to this, this issue of these cities, they're all across America, and, and you'll find those statistics very similar in major metropolitan areas. And and the problem here, you know, this is bringing up the same issues that we're talking about for the last few years. It's all about not having enough safe truck parking. It's about the responsibility of shippers and receivers to grant safe harbor. I put out, you know, articles on LinkedIn, as you all know, and and it's, you know, let them in. You know, what's, what's the issue, you know? So, so it's, it's the same thing over and over again. As far as Mr. Maxson goes, i got to tell you, the man is 72 years old. He's a senior citizen. You know, he's going through probably the worst time he's ever had in his life, you know, as far as I can tell. And the man still got on the phone with me on Tuesday, you know, and, and, and told me his story. And i got to tell you, I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting I don't know how many Matsons over the last week. Christy, I, I don't, I, I, I'm assuming, you know, Yvonne is your sister. There's Jerry Jr. is your brother. Your mom, Janet. They're all coming out of, you know, out of, out of, um, you know, nowhere here to, to back up Mr. Matson. If anything ever happened to my family, I would want this family on my side. I'll tell you, I would want them to be like this family. <laughs> right. These are the, these people, you know, these people are helping us with our Michael's law, um, you know, a new Facebook as administrators. So, you know, hats off to you, Christy, and to your entire family you. for, for the way mm-hmm. that you responded to this and stepping up, you know, and saying, you know what, we got to make something good come out of this. And, and we got to, you know, I know the promises you made to your dad that you told me, you know, we're going we're gonna to make sure this is not in vain. Something has to happen here. 
so Michael's Law, you know, regardless of, of you know, whether it's about Michael Baylin or Jerry Matson or Randy Tomlin or, or Jason Rivenberg, if we go back, uh, you know, five or six years, it's all the same story. And it's time to stop waiting. Truckers need to get on the phone. They need to call the NRA, and they need to say, I'm tired of this. You're, you're spinning your wheels. You're not solving the problem. You get an A for effort, but that doesn't cut it. You've got to produce results. So it's time for them to take our hand, take our torch that we're trying to hand them, because, you know, this is like uh, David and Goliath here. We're small compared to the uh, multimillion-dollar NRA, and, and they're the ones who really need to, you know, step up and, and get this introduced into Congress. Yeah, well, Christy, how did, did you, before this all happened, did you know about uh, James Lamb and the SBTC? Did you know about Mike's Law, Michael's Law Amendment, or did you come across it after uh, after this thing happened with your father? I had no clue until this happened. Absolutely no clue. I'm I'm on the East Coast. I'm in Indiana, and of course, this happened in California, and I I couldn't do anything. I was lost, mm. and that's not me. I'm a doer, so I. Took to the internet. I did everything that I knew how to do. Just get the word out there, asking everybody, help, help, help. And I come across James, or James came across me. I don't even remember now, but it was just a blessing. I never knew um, about Mike Beglin until now. Um, and then, of course, the other people. Now, these are the things that I look for when I'm reading news stories. You know, who did what to a truck driver. Um, the article that came out about my father, the headline says, Oakland, string of shootings leave six wounded. And it says, with it, it happened, all six of those people were shot, my father included, within 90 minutes. Oh, my God. 90 minutes, six people were shot. Now, yes, we, we were wow. very fortunate. Thank God. Um, I still have my father, and, and he gets to live to tell his story. But there's children out there that will never know their fathers because of this. And uh, were the all the other ones were all the other ones deceased? Did they all get murdered? Was he the only um, survivor? That night, um I'm not sure. I don't know that anybody was actually killed that night. Um but if okay. you look through the papers, you can go to um the newspapers there and, and look through the crime sections and it's unbelievable the shootings. Mm. Well Christy let me I, let I'm, me ask, I was gonna I was going to ask, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I was going to ask, uh, you jogged my mind there. I I was going to ask James this question, but let me ask you, because I know what James is going to say. And (laughs) this is the first time I've had you on the show. And I, uh, let me ask you the question instead. The one thing I, one thing Donna and I notice a lot on comments uh, about James's proposal and amendment and stuff is, Truckers, they're always saying, I can already carry. I have my Second Amendment right. I don't need another law. What would you say to those truckers about that comment? One comment I did make to the truckers are, you know, what do you do? Do you get a post box, a P.O. box, every every state that you go to that you're not supposed to carry in? No, they're not doing that. They They would be carrying... Illegal at at this point, at this point, because there is no reciprocity with all of the states. With all states, right? Um, 
and dad, you know, dad was one of, he, he's probably one of the very few, very, very honest people. And he would not do that. He would not take that chance. His, his career, mm-hmm. his driving was his career. And now it's over. Um, but in the long run, he did he did the right thing, even even though he was not able to protect himself. I I think the drivers out there now they they all need to step up. They need to back James up with this law. And get the word out. Get the word it, out. Know, we it, need it, help. You know, it's what we I always tell truckers. It's a personal choice. You know, do you want to take the risk of you know because you have the company policy versus the state's laws? So it's always a personal choice. But with James's amendment, at least it would, it would, you know, it would help so many. In like in your dad, in your dad's case, to at least have that chance, that opportunity to carry without having to face, you know, legality or anything against that. So, right. uh, does he have? Does he have a permit from his own state? I believe he does. Um, I know Mom's got her carrying because Phil, I haven't, I haven't received mine yet. I just moved up here um, from Georgia. Uh, more than likely he does. But California doesn't recognize it, right? What What's the law in California? I don't have the the state reciprocity in front of me. That James. I don't know. I I know they're pretty strict. That's what yeah, I thought. They're, yeah, they're they're strict. Uh, Illinois, New York, New Jersey. I mean, there's like four or five of them that they're just you know Nazi states when it comes to this. So even right. if he did have his permit, he probably would have had to have, have it in a lockbox, right? Right. Now, California, I believe I heard, we, we had inquired um, out there one time before. My mother was a traveling nurse, and they told her that um, out there you have to have your gun in one area of the vehicle and the ammunition somewhere else, and I believe you have to have it locked in a box. Yeah. That's not going to well, do you any good in a situation no. like that, no. <laughs> James, you know, the thing that, that comes up... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, the thing that popped up into my head when you folks were saying that just now is, you know, having the firearm in a lockbox when this kind of thing is going on where somebody's rocking the truck and trying to break in and, you know, has a gun, that's like, you know, being in a sinking ship and, and saying, yeah, I have a pail, but I left it on the pier. Right. Yeah, you know, that's not, not going to help you much, right? So, so asking, you know, just final to answer those truckers' question, uh, answer that, you know, I already have my uh, per- permit, and uh, we have Second Amendment rights. You know, what do you say to them? You just say, yeah, but you're going to be going illegally through the states, I, right? Well, I mean, they just they, that they is, don't get it. That's true. No, that and and I mean. Yes, we do have our Second Amendment rights, and I, I stand by that 100%, but I'm scared of the law. I want to do the right thing. I don't want to have fines or, God forbid, go to jail, you know, for something right. like that. I I would rather get get this law passed so everybody can do it, it's legal, and you don't have to worry about that stuff. Right. Do it right the first time. Agreed, James. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, and you know, and Alan knows what I what I want to say about this. You know, the, yeah. the fact <laughs> of the matter is that you know we're we're up against bully anti-gun states, and and that's that's the bottom line. And the only way to deal with a bully is to confront the bully. You know, and either you do that individually, little guy stands up, to big guy on his own. 
you know, and, and knocks them out, or you team up uh, against the bully. And, and so that's what we're doing here. We're saying you're not alone, truckers. You know, you have organizations, you've got groups like OIDA, you've got groups like SPTC, and, and ultimately, you know, we have the ability to do a bunch of different things. One is try to get legislation passed. Another is try to sue an anti-gun state, and that's on the current board with our legal team as well. You know, 14th Amendment rights, equal protection of the law. You know, why is it that New York allows certain people living in residential buildings to have a permit but not a transient trucker who's essentially living in the cab of his truck? You know, that's a violation of his 14th Amendment equal protection of the law rights. So there's there's a bunch of different things that, you know, that we can do here. But we're dealing with a lot of folks who really need to look at this you know, with eyes wide open. And they, they have to stop, you know, some of the guys that are saying, well, Second, Second Amendment is my permit. You know, these, these are people that are either not ever going to these gun states or they're going and they haven't run into one of these police officers that are, you know, enforcing these draconian anti-gun laws yet. And every time they, they say something like this on social media, I post an article. Well, did you see what happened to this Georgia trucker? who had a, 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 a firearm in New York, well, he got locked up. Did you see what happened in New Jersey with this uh, this trucker who was carrying, who wasn't supposed to because he didn't have a New Jersey permit? Well, he got locked up, and, and the stories are endless. So, you know, this, this right. dream, this, it's a dream, basically. You don't you have the Second Amendment, but you don't have a Second Amendment right unless it's respected. All right, I tell you, uh, uh, Time kind of winded down, but let's try to get some callers. I've got callers in Ohio, Missouri, Colorado. Let's try to get each one of them in here as quick as we can here. Start with the one that's been here on the longest, Ohio, area code 740. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alan. This is Dave with Give Truckers Room. Hey, Dave. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> hi. Well, hi, Donna. How are you? Good. We're good. Well, I, go ahead. I, well, I had a question for James. Um, I don't want to say I've been stalking him, but I've been reading about everything that he he posts on the uh, social media, and I've like uh, got to give yeah, I got to give my hats off to him. For once, I actually did hear him say that the problem starts with truckers not having a safe place to park. Mhm. Right. And and I understand the right. Uh, that we need to carry a concealed weapon. But the problem that I see is 80% of the places that I personally go to, they're not allowed on the premises. So does that that say, like, is is that going to be the biggest problem that we come across even if this Michael's Law gets passed. Apologize for what happened to your father, and I'm gratefully sorry that it happened. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I personally go to the same places all the time, so I know of safe parking. But they also say no firearms on premises. So what, what, what is the driver going to do when, when he comes across that? Is what I'm asking, James. Well, you know, you okay. bring up a couple of issues. All right. You bring up a couple of issues here. Let me, yeah. let me address them as quickly as I can. So, you know, yeah. number one, this is there are three phases that um, that we have planned here. One is get the law passed. The second is start to convince carriers that, as a matter of supply and demand, 
and you know alleged driver shortage that um, we we need to you know send truckers to those recruiters of those carriers that are pro gun and it'll all sort itself out on the carrier side. The last thing is you know the, the shippers and the receivers, and we're going to be launching a campaign within the coming weeks. Uh, addressing that, you know, with uh, with shippers and receivers, again, about their responsibility. You know, this is – we're all working together here. And so they have a responsibility to grant this safe harbor, but we're going to be going to their trade groups, NITL, NASTRAC, the shipper trade groups. And we're going to be saying, you know, you, we need your help to get through to your membership that they have a responsibility to, to do this. The other thing is, real quick, one of the issues that we're working on today is this North Bend, Washington um, attempt. The city of North Bend, Washington, is attempting to prevent a Jason Law endeavor, you know, a revitalization of an existing parking facility in their town. They don't want trucks in their town, and they don't want safe, safe parking, you know, facilities uh, renovated. So, you know, we're we're doing a call to action on that issue, and you'll see that on Facebook. And we're basically asking truckers to stand up and say, "Hey, you know, you, you can't do this because this is in furtherance, Jason." And, and All right, I, let me. Uh, I, I I just wanted to quickly add to that, uh, Dave. After after uh, Michael Beglin was uh, murdered in 2014, his wife Ashley and David uh, Clark, I believe that that's your father. Um, yep. The wife, she was the wife of uh, Michael Beglin, uh, came on the show and they talked about, and Desiree was on that show too, about the parking situation. I can send you the link to that show. We can post it. Um, but that was the major issue, the parking, the shippers and receivers uh, who who just won't allow truckers to park. And uh, thanks, James. I'm glad you're stepping up and you're going to help out with that. Yeah, it all it all really, a lot of this ties in with our next guest, Desiree Wood, that will be coming up. Uh, yeah, the the lack of lack of safe trucking parking spaces. Texas, area code 903, welcome to the show. Good evening, Alan and Donna. I do have a question for James. Uh, now it is possible for a felon criminal to be able to drive a truck. Uh, the laws currently do not allow that felon to have a gun. What kind of protection can we get for them? Well, you know, if we, if we think back to the original draft of what we were trying to do, you know, we're trying to deal with this in a very responsible manner. So originally we were saying let's pass a law, let's have a permit, ATF will figure out, you know, how to vet these people and ultimately how to, you know, train them and, and, and permit them. So, you know, that type of thing, you know, we were leaving up to the regulatory agency. Uh, this type of thing, I mean, you know, that, that now with respect to Plan B, Michael's Law Amendment, you know, this is a very broadly worded statute. So, you know, it, it's it's really open to interpretation. And all I can say is that, you know, most reasonable people, I think, are concerned about, you know, who's out there with firearms. And, you know, the national discussion has to do with, you know, criminals, you know, we don't want them having weapons, and, you know, the mentally ill, we don't want, you know, them to have weapons. So, you know, this is a microcosm, if you think about it, of the broad national conversation that we're having as American citizens with each other, gun control versus gun advocates. And these are the kinds of things that need to be sorted out. But, you know, let's not stop where we are right now. You know, let's, let's get this passed. And ultimately, you know, when it comes to implementing this, you know, that's the time when we, we kind of put in all the details. 
All right. Well, let's grab the bill. Last caller for this segment, uh, Colorado, area code 303. Welcome to the show. Go ahead. Hey, Don and Alan. It's Rick Ash. Good evening. Uh, hey, Rick. How you doing? Pretty good, sir. Pretty good. Happy New Year. I haven't talked to you since the New Year started. Uh, yeah, you too. Comment question, if I may. Uh, my sure. comment is I don't get the NRA. They're the first people to, to wig out when the government wants to strengthen gun laws which has happened several times in the past few years, but here's a population of people that want to arm themselves, and it seems like they, they're satisfied to stick their head in the sand and ignore it, so I don't understand them at all. Uh, secondly, as a point of clarification for me and maybe others, I don't have to be a gun owner, but I certainly respect truckers' rights to want to protect themselves. The reciprocity laws and permits and things that you're discussing here tonight, do they apply to all firearms? Or is it just handguns? In other words, could a truck driver have a shotgun or a hunting rifle or something in the in their truck? Or does does it is it just a blanket, all firearms type of thing? Well, uh, Rick, I think I think the issue really is what is the definition of a firearm and and how does that you know the federal definition of firearm and how does that come into play with the existing statute that we're trying to amend here. Um, when it comes to interstate transportation of firearms. So we have to look at, you know, the definition. And, and basically, you know, all of these types of weapons usually will fall under that federal definition. One of the problems that we're having here is that the state's definitions come into play as well with respect to all these different penal codes that, that are out there. And that's why preemption is so important because we really got to get, you know, our, our, our finger on the on the uh, you know the button here and basically say we need to have this very clear to truckers and everybody else who's out there as to what they can and cannot do. Some people are posting on on Facebook, well, you know, just carry a flare gun, and some people are saying some of them have the ability to put shotgun shells in there, and you know, so when you get into these kinds of things, you know, you really need to make sure you're getting good legal advice. You know, you should either contact an attorney or you should contact, you know, the ATF agency as far as, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed. But, you know, with respect to the first thing that, you know, you said as far as uh, the NRA, nothing happens. One of the things that we've learned in terms of the lobbying that's been going on here over the last two years, first for Mike's Law and now for Michael's Law Amendment, is that nothing happens in D.C. on guns without Congress members or members of Congress going to the NRA, and they will ask the NRA for basically permission to uh, to sponsor. And that's because they don't want to lose their, you know, good NRA rating and in some cases their uh, political action committee funds that the NRA sends to some of these members, you know. So you know, that that's kind of what we're up against here, and that's why it's so important to get the NRA on board. NRA pretty much killed Mike's law. It's still on our back burner you know, and we'd like to see that, you know, go through. But, but now we're on a plan B, and without their help here, you know, we, we can pass the, the ball. But if they don't run with it, then, you know, it's not going to get passed. So truckers need to get on the phone with NRA and say, look, you need to do this and, you know, and, and start thinking about plan B because it's been 10 years for national reciprocity. So I think just to wrap it up, uh, you know, the, the, the main message that we need to send to the NRA is that, look, there's a war on truckers going on here. 500 people are killed in the last decade, not including people like Jerry Matson who have been, been shot, hurt, maimed, injured. And ultimately the message really is that truckers' lives matter too. Oh. 
you're on you're on mute, Donna. Hey, um, do you have a form letter that people can copy and paste and just send it to the NRA? Uh, well, we you know we did that for Mike's Law, and um, you know, right now we're just sending out these messages that basically say just tell them that you're in support of the Michael's Law Amendment. Um, you know, reference the statute ninety you know, 926A, and hopefully we're going to get their attention and they're going to see, you know, that there's a lot of folks out there that want this to go through. We did a poll a little while back, and there's a lot of truckers, you know, overwhelming majority of the truckers are not happy with what they did with Mike's Law, and this is really their opportunity if they don't want to lose those trucker members of NRA, you know, for good, uh, a lot of them already left. This is their opportunity to take that out of branch from us and, and come together and, you know, really re- reunite here a lot of folks in the community that are pro-gun and make something really good happen for America. Or at least explain, if if they're not uh, responding to the Michael's Law Amendment with a, with a reason one way or the other, you know, at least explain why you're not in support of it, like they did with Mike's Law. At least they gave an answer that it, you know, it just was for truckers. It didn't take care of the whole uh, United States population. It was too narrow. Okay, that was an answer. Plus, it, it had registration. People are afraid to, to be registered. But not to reply at all and just ignore it, um, you know, that bothers me. Um, does that bother you, uh, Rick? Oh, hold on. Let me get them because I'm. Uh, oh, let me find them. There we go. Okay, go ahead, Rick. Does that bother you that they're not responding to this, Rick? I mean, because that's what I felt in your question. You were, you were. It, it bothers you because it bothers me. Oh, Rick, are you still there? Okay, he may not. Okay. Call. All right. Well, I'm sure it does because I could kind of. hear I could hear it in his voice. But... Well, hey, James, our time winding down here. Appreciate you coming on, and we will, uh, you know, keep following with you. Good luck with this. It's a long road ahead, but um, if anybody can get it done, you can do it. Well, we're going to plug away, and I I thank you again uh, for having me on the show. Hey, James, I just want to ask you, people have been asking me how they can join. Um, I tell them to go to smalltransportation.org. You know, that's, that's really the best place to join your organization, isn't it? Yep, that's that's right. They can they can join right online, or or they can uh, they can call in. But you know, uh, a, a quick from their cell phone in in a matter of seconds, they can put in a membership uh, request. It's uh, forty five dollars for the year, and if you're a company joining, it's uh, five hundred dollars. So ultimately, you know, we're we're happy to to have them, and uh, and hopefully, you know, you'll you'll realize that the funds that we are collecting, you know, we're not paying any salaries for this. It's all going with the exception of one little intern that we have to do some stuff that we pay a young college student. Uh, there's no professional salary, so every bit of the money that you contribute is going to these issues. And we've collected quite a bit of money. We've got 3,000-plus uh, members. Um, and, uh, you know, so ultimately that money is what we're using to get people's attention. And, and NRA needs to know if they're listening. We're not going to go away anytime soon, so give us an answer, you know, because we're going to just keep asking until we get one. Okay. Yeah, I know that's right. Well, hey, appreciate it, James and Christy. Thanks again for coming on and sharing your story and and give your dad our our best wishes. And we just can hope for his continued uh, you know betterment through all this. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.
All right, have a good evening. So, hey, we'll take a quick break, and then we're going to switch gears. And uh, our next guest, a trucker herself, Desiree Wood, founder and president of realwomenintrucking.com or .org, isn't it? .org, coming up. And we're going to be talking about the CRST exemption and what it has, what the industry has to face and all that. So it's going to be interesting. Hang with us, and we will be right back. Heads up, truckers. Are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas. TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website truckerlawyers.com is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash truckerlawyers and follow them on Twitter as at truckerlawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503. Welcome back, and joining us will be Desiree Wood, founder and president of Real Women in Trucking. You can on the web at realwomenintrucking.com, and it's a 501c6 trade association that was formed by seasoned female commercial motor vehicle drivers, and it's a grassroots uh, driver-led organization and provides information and resources for fellow drivers, prospective uh, CDL students, trucking executives, and the non-trucking community who remain ill-informed on how truck drivers are prepared for the open highway. And we're going to discuss this CRST request for CLP to drive team exemption, which has really stirred things up, especially when the FMCSA is investigating training standards with the LDAC committee they created in order to create uh, more standards. So uh, Desiree Wood joins us again. Desiree, how are you? Glad to have you back with us. Hi, Alan. It's great to be back, and thank you for having me, talking about this important topic and the one you had before as well, you know. Yeah, you know, I just kept thinking, you know, listening to Christy and James and, and you know, all this stuff happening out there, uh, man, there's such a big tie-in with the unsafe parking areas out there and all I could think of was boy Desiree boy what what you what you have done you know along with Hope Rivenberg and everything to try to get more safer parkings and and things so it's a lot of a lot of important issues tonight we're talking about and this uh 
this exemption thing is one. I just find it ironic that the FCSA uh, created a committee uh, to try to figure out how to create more standards, and yet they're they're just uh, signing away this exemption to these mega motor carriers. Why don't you kind of give us a feedback on just you know what you know what somebody may be listening, going well, what is this exemption they're talking about? Why don't you just kind of start from the beginning and and jump in here and just you know kind of fill us in what's going on and what you've discovered or anything? Well, yeah, um, so. The, as it, some of us have heard, the entry-level driver training advisory committee was formed to try to improve the low standards in the training carriers, and uh, they haven't even finished putting out what they're going to do, and we we saw CR England, one of the worst training carriers, apply for this exemption, and so they got it granted. Um, there was, like, broad opposition People went on the regulations docket and took the time to post um, comments, first-hand comments and experienced comments about uh, their opposition to this exemption, and it was still granted. So when CRSP applied for the same thing, it was it's like they're not even listening to us. You know, they're not even looking at the regulatory docket well, or they're just ignoring it. Well, let's yeah. explain what it is they're asking first. What, yeah. You know, if you look at it in theory, what they're asking wouldn't be unreasonable. But it's just the fact, like Alan said, it's the the um, what the training is already in question. So mm-hmm. now you're you're at what they're asking for. They're saying is, hey, look, our CD uh, CLP holders, right? They took the skills test, but they just don't have their their license in hand. They need to go home for that. And we feel, you know, what's the difference if they already have it in hand or it's just a formality. So let's just let them drive with us since they passed the skills test and we'll get them home uh, while they're driving. This way they could be making money uh, driving home. And, you know, they, they have the same uh, requirement fulfillment as the people who just have it in hand. Now, theoretically, that sounds great. But the first problem is people were already upset with the people who just got out of school and had it in hand and were putting in uh, a team truck because they didn't <clears throat> have any OTR experience. So that was one of the big problems and why they created the um, LDAC committee to begin with. So right. that's that's number one. Number two is that they could, if it's granted, they could have these CLP holders out for six months, okay, uh, moving freight team, again, no OTR experience, uh, from the training school, from the CDL um, school itself, and then, and while they're out six months, they're making like what fifteen cents a mile. So now they can move the freight even cheaper, and they can turn around and say to them, you know, uh, well, you know, you don't really have your license. You're just technically still a, you know, a CLP. Right. You know, so I, well, I think you know to explain that first. That's the exemption 
that they're asking for. Okay, I just wanted to get that out of the way in case people are wondering, well, what's the exemption, you know? Right. So the letter that CRSP wrote, I put up as a PDF, and I think you have it, and I've embedded it in the post that I wrote on my personal blog and on the Real Women in Trucking blog. And it's at the very bottom. If you want to read a CRSP wrote to the FMCSA, and if you read that, you will see is some of the things that hopped out at me is they want to have control of the students. So we have some members that are recent students of CRSP, and to them it makes no sense what they're trying to say. But what we do know is that they are losing a lot of new students who don't want to work with them anymore when they realize how unsafe they are. So they're not getting their tuition payments back, and they want to have control of them is what they're saying in the letters. So they want them to run on this learner's permit. The problem that we are seeing is that there's a lot of drivers that are getting blacklisted when they don't pay back this tuition. So the way that CRSP is known to do business running student drivers and then kind of blacklisting them if they don't, you know, making it so they can't get hireable somewhere else, if they're on this learner's permit running around running team and then they say, I, I just can't take this anymore, i got to go home, they're not going to be able to go get their, their CDL because they and have their certificate, they don't have their CDL, they're not hireable anywhere else. So they're really at the mercy of CRSP to have even more control than they already do. Um, the letter reads, with a lot of claims that are not backed up with any data, statistics that are absolutely outrageous. The one part that says that it will be as safe or safer than what they're doing yeah. now but it is just completely ridiculous. And they also say that it's a causing them a financial hardship to transport them home on the Greyhound. So we're we're talking about a multi-million dollar trucking company who brings new students in to their orientation center that they haven't even hired yet on the Greyhound, haven't done a background check on them, send them home on the Greyhound to go get things that they forgot to bring with them like birth certificates and social security cards, bust them back another time, and now they're saying that the ones that actually can pass the skills test that they're going to hire, they can't afford to send them on the Greyhound bus CDL. So it makes really no sense whatsoever if you know the way that they operate their business model. And so we decided to do this petition to get people to take action. And um, it's been a challenge. It's a learning curve for everybody because, you know, getting people to comment on Facebook and like it and give commentary is kind of easy, but getting them to go off there and take action somewhere else has been really uh, hard. So, um, you know, as as Donna said, you know, what what we're going backwards instead of forwards. This carrier has a certain type of business model that operates with student labor. And if the students are quitting before they can labor them, <laughs> right. then, you know, then that's what's on their hamster wheel. And yeah, let and, this and you're, ta 
Yeah, and, and don't mean to interrupt, but then you 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 know you spoke about the blackballing, all this things that's been going on for a while. You know, and, and it's not just CRST, FMCSA. You know, already already gave uh, CR England. You know, granted their exemption. You know, and I'm sure large these larger starter companies, as I call them, will be applying for the exemption. But now, regardless yeah. of CRST and any others, I mean. Desiree, what do you think the FMCSA, why do you think they're doing this? I mean, again, they established the LDAC to establish entry-level CDL training, training standards. That's the whole thing. So they should be telling CR England and CRST and any others that until those, until that level entry-level CDL training standards are established, the exemption cannot be considered. So why right. do you think... Because you've lived through this. I mean, let me let the listening audience realize that Desiree, she's kind of gone through this and beginning her driving career. But so why in the world, why, why do you think FMCSA is just putting a knife in the back of the LDAC committee and just just granting these exemptions just out of the hat? I, it, it, it confuses me. I don't understand it. I'm completely baffled like you are, except that there is some political connections there pulling strings that are, you know, they have getting special treatment. I'm just completely baffled because it defies everything that the agency is believed to be, you know, standing for. So um, I just. They already recognize there's a problem. And, yeah. uh, I mean, as Alan just said, that's the perfect answer that they should be giving them until the LDAC committee uh, comes to a conclusion on what the standards should be, we cannot consider these exemptions. I mean, that would be a great answer. And, um, right? I mean, listen, we're, we're in, in an investigation right now. We can't grant your, your, your uh, exemption until we, you know, have our final our final ruling, which is really what it's going to be. It's going to be a, another rule. So, um, which, by the way, the FCMSA, the FMCSA has no has had no problems telling other, you know, organizations of people that same thing. But yet here, they just okay, granted, you know, and then they ask they ask for uh, you know comments. You know, we want to hear from you before we do this, and all the comments are negative, and they still grant it. So, I mean, it's crazy. I don't yeah, get it. And that and that sort of that really, you know, it takes the wind out of your sails when you're a driver that has taken the time to go get on that regulatory docket. It's that we're open for comments. It's so cumbersome to use that um that regulatory docket. Even the bigger trucking magazines when they put the link in, you still gotta navigate like three different ways to get to where you need to actually write your comments. You read the other comments. One, there's just a very small percentage for the amount of CDL holders there are in existence, so that's disappointing. But um, when you read all of the negative comments, you're like, they're certainly going to read this. They're certainly going to, you know, see what people are saying. There's complaints all over the Internet about this company and so many of their practices. Certainly they're going to see our words here. And then when they just ignore it, it's easy to see why the truck drivers feel defeated because oh, yeah. nobody's listening to them. And and so, um, you know, it's been hard even with this little petition because 
you have to validate your signature, and it goes in people's spam folders. I've had people write me and say, you know, I'm pretty computer literate, and, and I didn't know it was in my spam folder. It took me a couple, two or three days to figure out how to find it. And when you put all these obstacles up for drivers that are out on the road, they're already they're in bad weather conditions. They're using their phone. Um, some of them still use flip barrier for them to even protest what they see going on. It's really unfair. So um, well, well, let's first let's first tell everybody out there. There's there's two things you need to sign, the and and give your comment. It's not a signature; it's a comment, and that's the link to the actual FMCSA request from CRST. And all these links, they're on the show page of tonight's show that we have all over the place, all over social media. So, and we've been posting it, and Desiree's been posting it, and many other people have been posting this link to go to the FMCSA site and grant and and say your comment of why you believe that CLP holders, um, even though they've passed their skills test, they still have zero training. OTR should not be allowed to drive team. It's unsafe if that's the way you feel. And make your comment. And the link is out there directly to the page of the comment section. This must be done by February fourth, no later right. than February fourth. Okay, now the petition that Desiree created goes to We the People, and that's the White House, and that's a whole different thing. That's that's asking the White House to stop the FMCSA from granting these petitions. So it's kind of going one step over the FMCSA's head. So why don't you, and um, we've also got that link on the show page also of tonight's show. And you can just scroll down and, 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 and click the link. Um, the problem that people are having that Desiree explained is when you get on that page, you have to sign up, your name, your email, and then they're going to send you a confirmation link. And that's the part, Desiree, you said that, that's getting people uh, not confused, but sometimes that confirmation link is going in their spam folder. Correct? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's going in their spam folder, and they're not they're not seeing it. And then if they do get the email, there's, there's two links apparently in it. One is to validate your signature, and one is to set up an account to make your own petition. Some people are clicking the wrong link. So um, okay. So okay. you want to validate your signature. You don't care about making your own petition unless you really do want to make your own petition, and you can do that later. But first, okay. validate your signature. Yeah, and so let me talk a little bit about this um, learner's permit. Obviously, you get a learner's permit only from taking a written test. It does not mean that you have done any driving skills. A lot of CRST students report that at their driver's skills test, which they have only driven around the block a very short distance a couple times when they take it, they are methodically coached through it on, you know, sitting next to you teaching you how to cheat on a test. One girl that I talked to this week said she went to the state DMV office here in Florida, by the way, and one of the um, you know, 
instructors at the DMV was a former CRST employee. We hear this often. So what kind of skills test did they get? Besides that, we're talking about these people have only really driven the truck on a, a course or around the block. They haven't been on the open highway yet. So we're giving them permission now to take this little learner's permit and now go drive team with another CDL holder. The exemption request says another CDL holder. It does not say a trainer. So theoretically, you're giving them federal authorization to have two team driving students, one that maybe got their hard copy CDL a little bit earlier than this person had their skills test. There's so many things in this letter that people just, their eyes should be popping out of their head. So um, it's really a big concern because it can start an avalanche of other carriers going, well, they got it. Let's get on, you know, the, the chuck wagon here. Yeah, and that's a, that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, that's obvious. Hey, let's let's try to grab a few callers here real quick. Let's go to uh, Texas area code five one two. Welcome to the show. Hi guys, this is Pat Hockaday, uh, TruckersUnited dot org. Hey Pat, I'm doing yeah great. How are y'all tonight? Oh great, great. We got a hot show oh, tonight, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, for starters, you know, we're kind of waiting for the training standards to come out. We're hoping that the preliminary committee, LDAC committee, uh, is asking for 30 hours in truck driving under various conditions, including night, highway, city, this, that, and the other. So we don't have that in place yet. That will hopefully eliminate a lot of this. But the real major problem is there's not any over-the-road experience, period. Um, right. And there's no provisions for that. So what we really are talking about is we need post-CDL training to a degree. Or or we need to include in the pre-CDL um, you know, a certain amount of miles. I think 10,000 miles is appropriate of supervised driving just to get the CDL. You've got to be careful about that, though, because there are other industries. Say I'm a crane operator. I don't need to drive over the road to get my CDL to drive my crane around town. Obviously, if I'm going to school to operate a crane, I'm going to get proper training on driving the crane around town. So that's kind of got to be looked at as well. But so far as over-the-road driving, we need post CDL training. We need on the highway uh, supervised training to begin with. You know, I'm sorry. I'm well, yeah, ex ex exactly. And Desiree, that's kind of what y'all been, uh, you know, <clears throat> I mean, kind of saying. I mean, like I said, you've gone through this yourself. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it just kind of befuddles what FMCSA established the LDAC for. Right, and that's for entry level. Now, what did you say, Pat, about the 30 hours? What what What's going on with the 30 hours? Well, there's supposed to be a 30 hours behind the wheel included in the pre-CDL training when the new training standards come out. Now, they're talking about highway? Highway or just highway, like in a parking lot or what? This, that, and the other. Uh, for example, when I went to truck driving school back in 1989, 
I probably had about 12 hours driving around in a truck on the streets, on the highway, you see. But that still wasn't adequate. As soon as I got to the carrier, I got immediately thrown into a team truck. I'd never driven over the road in my life, but I left Springfield, uh, Ohio, and went all the way into Syracuse, New York, unsupervised, nighttime driving at that. So this has been going on for ages and ages. Um, there is no on-the-road, over-the-road supervised training, supervised driving, even as we call right. it. Right. Okay. Did you, did you have a question or comment for our guest, or...? Oh, no, except Desiree's doing a great job. She's doing a wonderful job. And, and the whole purpose of this, atten- uh, of this petition is really to bring attention to the fact that there's inadequate training. He's kind of breaking up a little bit. I, yeah, go, you're go just ahead. a little off. But, you know, I, I just want to say uh, uh, one thing, how this leads into many other things. These These new drivers... Number one, they have over a 100% uh, turnover, failure rate, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so they're not being retained in the industry. And yet they're being paid cents, I mean, 15 cents a mile, ridiculous uh, wages. And what that does also is if this is your business model in this kind of industry, and most of your team drivers are being paid low wages, that brings the wages down for the rest of the industry of veteran drivers. This is a big problem. So now it's unsafe. Number two, the way I see it, is there are no stats. And Desiree, you know this because you've looked high and low for them yourself, okay, for accidents with drivers of less than one year experience. You cannot find the stats for that. And number three, they're talking about in the petition, well, you know, there's a driver shortage, so we have to get these drivers, you know, uh, more drivers in the industry. Yes, but if you have a 100% turnover rate or more for these people, you're not retaining them. They never end up being you know, veteran drivers. It's just part of the churning that's going on in the industry to get the freight moved cheap and at the expense of what? Safety. So my recommendation, and put it on the record, is that the LDAC committee needs to come up with an established entry-level training standard before they can make any more decisions for these training companies. That's my that just what you said in the beginning of the show, Alan. Exact same thing. Yeah, and Desiree agrees. Let me ask you, Desiree. They're, you know, they're bringing up wages they're paying these new drivers. What, what's the, what's the lowest wage you've come across with those those uh, members of you know real women in trucking? Everyone you're dealing with over there. What's the lowest wage you've come across with you know a, a new student driver? Well, the girl I talked to this week who just left DRSP, and she actually was one of these that was being blacklisted by them. Um, they were holding her to a contract and no other carrier would touch her. They said, CRST, oh, we can't hire you. Um, she finally had to go and, you know, be strong-armed with them and say that I'm going to sue you for some of the unsafe situations you put me in if you don't let me out of the contract. They finally relented and let her go, but she told me she was getting paid 13 cents a mile. They weren't getting um, 
full miles. Um, and so they take out the payment that she owes. They charge you 6500 for their training, which is you're not really any, getting any training. She was driving team from day one with her trainer, night shift, as Pat just said he did. So her first check, she had 2,400 miles for the week times 13 cents a mile, about $312 gross. They took out $80 for her tuition payment, let's say about $18.15 for her tax. So she got about $213 net pay after going five weeks with no paycheck and letting her bills. I had another gal who told us that she quit her McDonald's job, left her kids with her parents because she thought she was going to make a lot of money trucking. She's got made um, $18,000 for the entire year at one of the training carriers and ended up quitting and going home. You know, so she said yep. I could have stayed working at McDonald's and made that much and been able to see my kids every night. Could have made more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, and this is this is this has been going on for years. So I mean, it, it's kind of disheartening to, you know, hear that it's still it's still happening and it's still happening over and over by the same companies, the same names that you hear over and over and over. Right, right. So they're wow. charging them for sixty five hundred for their training. That is a lot of money. You can go to a community college and get good training for eighteen hundred. 2500 and go to a decent training carrier that's actually going to have their trainer sitting in the passenger seat teaching you, not pulling up, telling you, here's the keys, I'm going to sleep, you drive the night shift because I drove all day. That's your first day meeting your trainer. Right. And can you imagine starting in the snow like the weather now? I mean, granted, a lot of people are parked now. Yeah, but, I did. I started on December 17th, 7, and I was driving in the snow just coming from South Florida in Tennessee on icy roads, and I was completely scared to death. So and you I had no OTR experience, right? No, I, I had the same. No, I was started. in terror. So I know what this is like where you're like, oh, my God, I didn't even know how to change lanes properly or hold it between the lines. Wow. Well, hey, let's grab another caller here real quick. Uh, Arkansas, area code 870. Go ahead. This is Idella, uh, another member Hi, of Real Women show. in Trucking. Well, thank you, Alan. That's hey, Idella. All right. Yeah, Miss. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> this is great. Uh, I have a short story. And one of the reasons I'm so dead against these exemptions is, and this, this lady took a job at CR England, as a certifier for the people to get their uh, training permit. And mm-hmm. she had a complaint. First first, first two, three days out, she told me, she says, none of these people know how to make a right-hand turn. They're curbing the trailers. They're running over poles. She says, I can't tell you that these people, and they, she was told, pass them. Quit making right-hand turns. Take them out and make nothing but left-hand turns. If they can't make the right-hand turns, do nothing but left-hand turns. No matter what pass them, get them their certificate, their training certificate. And she lasted about two weeks because she said maybe one out of ten qualified for a trainer's uh, a training CDL license. Well, so let me ask you a they're question. Telling me, they're telling me that, that these people are ready to go out on the road and, and they're being run through this 
like fish. This is where I'm confused, Adela. This is Donna. Um, <clears throat> my question is, you said the, the company says just pass them. Now, is this after they've been out with a trainer for so many no. months, or is this the actual this, skills this, test? This is the actual skills test to get their training, their learner's permit. And this, and this, this is, is where it. I'm confused. Because what you're saying is that the skills test is given by the company, not by the motor vehicle department. Is that correct? Yep. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And and you see, this this bothers me because um, this should raise a flag to the FMCSA that they should immediately say, well, who is giving the skills test? Now, if it's a, you know... Uh, an unbiased, you know, state official giving the test, just like when your teenager goes to get their license, you know. Uh, if, if, if your teenager goes to a driving school, uh, the driving school instructor is not the person who gives them the test to get their, their, uh, their driver's license. They have to go to the motor vehicle. At least that's the way it was when I got my license, Okay. So the fact that the company is giving the skills test, even though they may have some kind of certification through uh, the DMV, they must realize that they're biased in some way. And if not, they need to find out. And this is what a lot of people are confused about because they assume when they say, well, they've already passed their skills test, they imagine them going to a regular State Department of Motor Vehicles go in and take the test on uh, in a semi, and this isn't what's happening. And I was confused myself. Desiree, I mean, I think it's the learner's huh? permit is to learn how to drive. The learner's permit is right. To that's learn just how the written test. Yeah. Just like when you when you're a kid and you just take that written, and then you think you know you're all that, and you have a learner's permit, well, but you, you have to have somebody school. next to you. Get them into the school and all this stuff to get them started. The statement was to her is that she was to pass everybody. If they were having troubles making the right-hand turns, then have them make nothing but left-hand turns. And this is and the skills test Tom you're telling Hansen me. Said, that's what Tom Hansen said from in the Dan Rather investigative report when he was a safety director. He was told to make the training road test shorter because too many were failing. And he, there okay. was a, on the on the and they did a, a drawing on the Dan Rather show and he would show that he should they showed the old route and he said how many were failing and they told him make the route shorter and pass more. So you know, um all the same I, I went to Covenant with my CDL. I went to the bad school got the learner's permit, went, you know, we drove around the block a couple of times. They had a guy on the course who was a third-party tester, but he actually worked for the school, and that's how I got passed. They didn't have to go to the DMV. It was on their property. Um, he was certified through the DMV. So it's kind of a gray area. Does he work for the CDL school or does he work for the DMV? He had on the school shirt, but he's certified through the Florida DMV to test me. So he's actually the one that I got my paper from that I could go get my CDL. 
Then I took the bus to Covenant, and they gave me a road test at orientation. So there's a lot of different places here, and a lot of people did. They hit, made the right hand. They give them a couple chances to not hit the tire on the thing. So there's a couple caveats to this, and some of the mm-hmm. stuff that they were saying doesn't make sense. Um, I know there's some mm-hmm. students going to some school up in Jacksonville that is supposed to be a, a tester or a school for CRSP, and we've had members who say, told, we have to graduate and go to CRSP, and if we even discuss thinking about going to another training carrier once we get our CDL, we will not get our certificate of graduation, and we will get expelled from school. And I'm like, this is, sounds really strange to me that they're telling you this at your school. You know, well, that must be a it must be a, a CRST school then, right? But not, on on their website, it doesn't appear that way. So there's the, mm-hmm. the carrier does a lot of very strange things to control these students, and they say that in the letter they want to have more control over these people. They use that word, and and um, I think it's really you know, sends up a, a lot of red flags that people need to look at. They want to hold these people hostage. They want them to pay them back for this training that they really didn't get. You know, they're not really getting any good training from them. They're getting put out there and... Wow. And no wonder the there's such thing, a high failure rate. The other thing that really needs to be mentioned is CRSP has well-established customers, some pretty big-name companies, and they their model is around team freight. So they don't get solo freight. You know, that's not their business model. So these customers are expecting this freight to move. They don't, I don't really know that all of these customers realize they have contracted with a student fleet that has students running their freight. They just know it's a team-driving company, and they want their stuff from point A to point B fast. And I'd really like to see more shippers and receivers become aware of the difference in training carriers. And they might be paying a lower rate, but they're also putting a big risk out on the highway for doing it. So maybe they should pay a little bit more to have a safer carrier. And it's okay to employ a training carrier if the teacher is sitting in the front seat actually teaches because we're never going to get a qualified driver pool if we keep having carriers like this that is not producing any qualified drivers. They're out of the system in less than six months. Right. So the driver shortage argument just kind of goes down the tubes. I think one of the things they need to be asking uh, these uh, the, <clears throat> the exemption request carriers is, you know, what is your success rate and your retention rate of new drivers? And what is your accident rate? Absolutely. That should definitely be something that they have to produce because in they're, they're saying that there's a driver shortage in the industry of qualified drivers, but their business model does not rely on qualified drivers. They don't hire them, mm-hmm. and they're not producing them. So why even mm-hmm. say that? Um, they're... The other thing that you mentioned about the accident statistics, when you have going to publish these annual trucking accident rates, whatever, 
you can't compare student fleet crashes to owner-operator crashes and all of this stuff. That's a whole different ball of wax, the student fleet crashes. Why aren't they separated? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a student driving that crashed the truck. It could be a tired trainer who's stressed out because they have a student on the truck and they're not getting any sleep and they're having to run team rather than supervise. So what no, what are you saying then that there are no statistics? There's is that is that correct? Or they have them? They must have them. The company I've, must keep. I've I've inquired to the transportation research board in Washington D.C. for this, and as far as they knew, the last time I inquired to them, they have never even heard of anybody collecting that kind of data. And this, and this is the FMCSA who, whose prime uh, goal and responsibility is safety. I would think this question would be a no-brainer. If they do collect that kind of data, I would be, um, they're not revealing it to anybody. You know, well, that's what I mean. Um, Alan, wouldn't the companies have this data? I mean, they have to be looking. Just as a business person, they have to be keeping this data. Well, I mean, you know, the truck companies, you know, at least they have a safety director. I mean, they're, you know, they're required to keep records of, you know, employees and everything else. And so if their employees have a have an accident or something, that goes in employee files. So either way, one way or the other, they should have some kind of form of of a record, you know, just for the fact, simple fact that they do have a, they do have a safety department and they do have a safety director, so I would think well, they would. Well, at the end of every year, in my first year, and I, I believe I did it at the end of my second year, I was given a form that I had to fill out for the federal motor carriers to say, did you have any accidents this year? Did you have any violations? Did you right. have this? Did you, you have, have to do that. Where you have that to do that every year. Yeah, where does that paper go? So, so that paper would really to be a place to collect a lot of data. And the safety departments do know about every accident that happens. Is that data traveling any further or is somebody keeping it under wraps so that you can't well, that compare? You know, it's that like paper teenage drivers uh, and, and experienced, um, you know, motorists and senior drivers, all their accidents are in the same, you know, number demographic. But they're they're really uh, not. You can you can pick out a senior driver accidents and teenage driver accidents. Why can't you pick out data of student fleet crashes? Well, that paper that you fill out every year, I mean, it goes into your employee file, and it may even be it may even be, you know, sent to the Department of Transportation. I'm not sure, but somebody, and probably a few people have it. And I mean. That's uh, you know, that's just one very small example of pieces of paper that are out there that you can get this data from. So I find it hard, uh, Desiree and Donna, that this de- this data isn't somewhere. It has to be. I'm with I'm with Desiree. They're just not releasing it. Well, can't you get it on the Freedom of Information Act or or what? You could. If, you should. <laughs> I mean, you know, who knows? Who knows anymore with the government and and our freedoms, but. If it's out there, first you have to find it, 
you have to lay it out, you know, exactly what you're looking for and want. But, I mean, I know the form that Desiree's talking about, you have to fill it out every year. So that's just one small example of something that's out there. But, you know, I, I, I'm sure the, safe, the, the safety departments, they, they keep track of all this. So it's got to be there, you know. I don't know if the FCSA, if the FMCSA has it, which I'm, I'm sure they have some data. But, you know, maybe they're just – there never has been a strong enough call for them to release it, perhaps. Well, even with yeah. CSA on your on your violations and your accidents, I mean, they could easily collect it. Um, with the big CS, CSA surge of 2010 that started, and add a add a box, how many years driving? I mean, we'd have a ton of data by now. That'd be five years worth of data by now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Des. You know, Desiree, I think the data is already out there. Like I said, I just don't think there's been a strong enough push to have it released. Yeah, and I, and that's one of the reasons that I made this We the People um, petition is just even to get drivers to start demanding something away. I mean, you know, like we just keep chasing our tails, you know, and we argue amongst ourselves and there hasn't been a big right. demand or we, like, keep thinking, you know, that, yeah, they're going to see the writings on the wall. It's all over the place. We're not going to do this. And then they, they don't, and then you start going, okay, what is going on in this office? Is there just right. some political connections there that are just, you know, palms are getting greased or what? And right. um, so trying to mobilize drivers to start demanding some of this information, that's really part of, of this action, you know, and, and, and not for just this, but other future take action um, projects. Well, where, where can people, where, where do people go for your uh, call to action on this? Where's the best, well, best place Well, if you want to just go, go directly to the petition, you can go. It's on your trucking social media page, pinned to the top, and it's pinned to the top of the Real Women in Trucking Facebook page. We, we changed our Facebook page. It was Real Women Truckers. We changed it to Real Women in Trucking um, today Good. because we hadn't <laughs> it had not been brought to my attention that I'd never done that, so I did it this morning. And um I um have it pinned to the top. Um you can sign the petition, follow the directions. If you want to know in, more information you can go either on our blog or my personal blog to look for the post that is called Does this sound safe to you? If not, please take action of the letter that um CRST wrote to FMCSA so you can read it for yourself and the link to the We the People petition site is on there. We passed the first threshold. We had to get 150 signatures to make the petition openly searchable on the We the People um, site, which is the White House petition site. Um, if we right. can get 100,000 signatures, the president will review it. I wanted to do it there instead of change.org. We have over 3 million CDL holders in the United States. I, I, I think that we could get 100,000 drivers to protest this. But just like um, the earlier guest, um, Christy Mattson, said she didn't even know truck parking was an issue until her father was shot. There's so many drivers out oh, yeah. there that are not connected to, like, the big issues like truck parking and bad CDL right. um, training and all of these things you're like how could you not hear about this before you yeah. know so yeah. it's it's an everyday 
job to educate a new person. Well, you know, another push we're we're trying to go through this year is to unite all these Facebook groups. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of websites, advocates for truck drivers. And uh, 2016, we'd like to see people working more together with one another. So, you know, if someone has something like Desiree has a petition, and all you activists out there who, you know, want to make a difference in the trucking industry, sign it and then pass it on on your website. And then if we all did the same for one another, then we're all working together instead of just one individual group trying to um, uh, work on their own. We'd, we'd have a, this huge team. and It's kind of the idea behind um, we trying to achieve on the trucking social media website, truckingsocialmedia.com. And on the resource page, you'll see a list of websites and Facebook groups um, that work together to try to achieve what we're all trying to achieve. And if you go there and you want your website on there, just let us know and we'll put you up there. There's no cost. It's just an act of unity trying to get together. So um, if you're listening here tonight and you go and you see this We the People, post it on your blog, post it on your website, your Facebook page, and then the more people who share it, that's the only way we're all going to make a difference uh, together is supporting one another and sharing each other's information. Okay, not one person can do it alone. And like Desiree said, there's over 3 million drivers. We we surely can reach 100,000 of them. I would think. And uh, listen, our time wandered down, Desiree, but listen, I appreciate you coming on. And, and uh, Yeah, let me, can I just say one more thing? I, I, I also sure, go wrote ahead. an email on that North Bend truck parking issue that came out. And uh-huh. um, you guys. Well, go ahead, because that was going to be one of my announcements. So here, you do it. Well, I just, you know, the thing came out about the North Bend truck parking issue, and then Landline put out an article with the lady's email. I think um, right. I shared it. Maybe you sent it to me. I sent, Hope shared it from my page, Hope Rivenberg of Jason's Law. I went ahead and wrote a letter. My letter is posted publicly and asking other drivers to write. I hope you'll read my letter and, and you will um, write. Hope Rivenberg's asking you to write this woman's um, email and educate this community um, about the truck parking issue. So that's a way you can get involved too today. A little short email took me less than, you know, five minutes to write something and email it. Yeah. Um, where is yours posted? I want to, I mean, where, where is I'm, it? It's posted under Jason's Law post and on my um, personal page. And on our Real Women in Trucking page, um, I said, this, uh, here are my commenting issue. Um, You're talking about Facebook? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, um, uh, it says, I've written the following to Mrs. Eastep regarding the issue, and I encourage other writers or other drivers to write her as well without using any foul language and threats. And then my letter starts on from there. So um, it's on Hope Jason's law page. My, on my personal page, and it's on the Real Women in Trucking Facebook page. If anybody wants to read it and get the email and shoot them an email, 
to um, support, I want to say her name right, it's a, it's a trucker's wife, Joyce Him, Hibba, Hibma. She is the one, I guess, that brought it to the attention of Landline Magazine um, that they were trying to, they don't want the trucks there. And she's like, you know, yeah. it, basically that the town doesn't even realize they they can't relate why the truckers are even there. So, um, yeah. anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, we're going to – and you could also write G-E-STEP at northbendwa.gov. Yeah. Um, and tell them how you feel about it. Her name is Gina Estep of the Community and Economic Development Department. And, uh, you know, let them know how you feel about this, about not wanting trucks in North Bend, Washington. Yeah, it just it just it comes out. North Bend, Washington says we don't want trucks, and uh, Desiree's talking about they're holding a public hearing on a proposal to amend two parts of the North Bend Municipal Code that addresses commercial truck center service areas. And basically, the proposal will prohibit any new commercial truck center service areas from entering the city. And like Donna and they both said, comments can be emailed to Gina Estep of the Community and Economic Development Department at gestep at northbendwa.gov. And like Desiree said, just uh, comments explaining and being professional. So appreciate Desiree Wood coming on. Uh, Be sure to check out her site, realwomenintrucking.com, and you can find uh, the link to uh, her petition for this uh, amendment, or not amendment, exemption and everything so uh donna we're winding down really really quick you only you got one more thing you wanted to get in i just want to make our announcement of the zyper app uh the the uh deadline to download the zyper app the um innovative app which sends freight loads directly to your phone uh is this week because our show is next saturday we're going to have the developers of zyper and you want to download so you can have your automatic entry for your Falcon Eye dash cam. Everybody who enters and downloads Zyper will be automatically entered for the drawing, and we'll announce the winner next Saturday night when we discuss um, when we have the discussion over this uh, freight app. And we're going to have truckers on that are using the app. And the app is free, the service is free, and the beauty is you don't ever have to go empty again. Now, we we know there's a lot of other apps out there, and we're going to try to do a comparison of Zyper and their benefits uh, versus the other apps out there. Um, if you want more information, Zyper is spelled X-Y-P-P-E-R. That's X-Y-P-P-E-R. Dot com, and you can go look at the videos on their website, and you can download right from there, uh, either on your Android or your iPhone. And that's pretty much uh, pretty much it. We look forward to having you next uh, next Saturday, 6 p.m. All right, appreciate everybody on the lines and on well wherever we're all across the internet. Appreciate you tuning in. Thanks to our special guest uh, James Lamb, Desiree Wood. And for Christy Matson for coming on the show, we really appreciate it. Y'all have a great evening. We will check catch you next time on Ask the Trucker Live. You've been listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. On behalf of Alan and Donna Smith, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Ask the Trucker Live. I'm J. Michael Collins.
Until next time, drive safe and thanks for listening. and cars It takes 1200 bucks to fill this rig while I'm stuffing the pockets of some big wig He don't care if I've maxed out my credit cards The only trick I get for my truck is the jack in the price when I fill it up It's like pumping my money down an endless hole But what they gonna do when the big Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll They're ripping off me They get a big tax break And all I get's the shaft Insurance goes up If my credit is down If I sink any lower I'm gonna drown And I ain't getting no help From a bureaucrat No The only trick I get for my truck Is the jack in the price When I fill it up It's like pumping my money Down an endless hole but what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll? Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll. If mama hadn't taught me the golden rule, I'd tell those big wigs what to do. With the nozzle on the pump where I get my gas. But I'm a good boy and I won't do that. My truck is a jack in the price when I fill it up. It's like pumping my money down an endless hole. But what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll? Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll. What they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll?